Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, and welcome to the 599th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein, giving you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at either Rebel News Network or at beyondthe90.substack.com. And as always, this show is dedicated to the game here in the United States. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. Uh, I'll try to answer your questions to the best of my ability. Now, as we all saw recently with the news that John Herdman is no longer with the Canadian Soccer Association as their men's national team head coach, he has moved to the club side and has decided to go into Major League Soccer to take over Toronto FC on a permanent basis, I guess. Um, It's really a shame that Herdman could not remain with the national team, but obviously uh, it's just one of those types of situations that um, this guy, hopefully it works itself out, but at the same time, I I, I just don't know – what fortunes will change for Toronto, whether it be to salvage this season, which it looks like it might be impossible, or to get ready for the next season in 2024. We'll see what happens there. But tonight, we talk about the current news of what's going on in Spain. Now, normally, you know, this doesn't affect American soccer, but in some ways it does because it affects women of the game. And that is, of course, the situation with the president of the Spanish FA. And, of course, that man is the one who has created so much controversy, all because of his Overindulgence, if you want to go that far, of celebrating Spain's first ever Women's World Cup Championship. And that is the, Mr. Luis Rubiales. Now, well, let me say that in normal circumstances, I would be saying to all of you, Demanding he resign, all of this, all of that. Normally, what I would do is I would try to be the voice of reason here. I would try to be the voice of reason when it comes to something like this. Obviously, he kissed one of his players in celebration at the podium on the lips. Um, She did not like that at all. Many people saw it worldwide and they want a not just an apology but 
they felt he should have uh, resigned his position. Now, like I have said many, many times, you know, I have I, just same thing with Dante Von Zier. This the same thing I've said about uh, Taxis Fountas the first time around that he said this, you know, you, we, we, we need a learning moment. We need a teaching moment here to make sure that he learns not to do this sort of stuff ever again. Because if we do not learn of our past mistakes, we're doomed to repeat it. Fountas repeated it, and now he's no longer with DC United because he did it to his own player with the racist allegations that were true. So for Mr. Rubiales, you would like to think he would go to the podium to talk to the, the Spanish football media and to inform everyone, you know, I apologize in the moment of winning this championship for our women's team, I overdid it, and I apologize for my actions. I understand he was supposed to go out there and step down from his position. But instead of doing either or, and I'm not saying he should have stepped down, what he should have done was brought her with him to the, to the stage and to apologize to her right in front of the Spanish media, in front of the Spanish Football Association, in front of Spain and the world. He should have brought her over to say, I am so sorry for what I did. My actions were not meant to embarrass you or to embarrass Spain or to embarrass the female footballers of this FA Please forgive me. I'm very sorry. I overreacted, but I was very excited that you and your teammates brought to this country the Women's World Cup Championship. No, he did not do that. No, what did he do? No, he, he, he basically said, I will not leave. And I don't care who is going to tell me I should leave. I will not leave. In fact, he stood his ground for no reason. He made dumb comments for no reason, and now, now, members of the Spanish FA are going against the player who accused him of this. The truth is, he did it. He did it. Without a doubt, he did it. There is no denying what he did. And for him to claim it was consensual... That's not consensual. Look, I have family in France. And yes, I've seen the kissing of the cheeks, the one side, the other side as a friendly thing, not directly on the lips. That is not what she asked for. I don't think she's opposed to being hugged. And I obviously am, don't think she's opposed, you know, you do a cheek cheek and that's the end of it. You know, good. Thank you so much. You did an awesome job. I believe they are the very first national team 
that their men's side who won the World Cup, now their women's side have won the World Cup. It would have been either them or England. And we all know the English FA would never have done anything like that. Obviously, hugs. Thank you, thank you. What a wonderful job you did. You were fantastic. You were tremendous. But instead, we have controversy. And for no reason. I do not believe, and I'm being fair to, and I want to be fair to Mr. Rubiales. I really do, because like I've said, I don't think he should have stepped down. He should have apologized to the Spanish media, to the Spanish women's footballers. He should have brought her with him to that stage to say, I am very sorry for what I did. I overreacted in my celebration. I should not have done that to you. That was not my intent to embarrass you in front of the world. And for that, I am very sorry. Please forgive me. I promise you it will never happen again. And to all the women footballers of Spain, I promise you this, you win the Women's World Cup again, or you win the Women's European Cup again, or if you do win the European uh, Women's, the Women's European Cup, this will never happen again. I will not do this again. A plain, simple, heartfelt apology should have been enough. Instead, what do we have? We have a chaotic situation that should never have happened in the first place. It should never have happened, period. And now, many women around the world and many men around the world are very upset at what President of the Spanish FA has done. Even the players of the men's national team are not happy. And because of this poor judgment that has been escalated 10 million times over. Now it sounds like UEFA is about to step in, and that's not good. That is not good at all. It is, without a doubt, the most embarrassing moment right now for the Spanish FA. And I understand that the gentleman's mother is locking herself in a church and going on a hunger strike because of all the negativity that her son is getting. I'm sorry, but your son is right now on a pedestal declaring his innocence and accusing her of assuming he, they're saying this was consensual. It's not consensual, mister. She didn't enjoy it. She didn't like it. And now you got to go against the grain. As I've said, I would have given him the benefit of the doubt, allow him to be heartfelt, apologetic. And then when he has this learning moment, this teaching moment that finally came up, that he uh, admitted to, to being sorry about what he did, then we just say, look, forgive him. He understands his mistake. He shouldn't have done it. Let's move on. But no. And this is where now you go from zero to a million deep in the hole 
because he refused to admit that he was wrong. He is not learning from this situation. And even if he does apologize after this situation ends, what good does that do for everybody? No one. It does not do anyone any good because he should have done it right off the bat. He should have done it right away, as soon as possible. And now he is getting the full brunt. Even though he has his defenders and they are in the wrong as well, this all could have been avoided if he would have just given a heartfelt apology. And to say, please forgive me. I know now I should never have done that. And I realize I should never have done that. I would love to stay with this job. I love doing this job. I know what I did was wrong. And I'm very, very sorry. Please forgive me. That's all he had to say. That's all he had to say. But no. Pig-headed, stubborn, Mule. Pig-headed, stubborn mule. You had to go above and beyond dumbassery and extend it for no reason whatsoever. Listen, I, I am not one of those that believes it's one and done. He at least deserves the opportunity to learn his mistakes and once he's learned his mistake, we need to see that he never does this again. That's what I've always believed in. If you've learned from your mistake, it will never happen again. But if you don't learn from your mistake, then you're done. And that's what happened with Taxis Fountas at DC United. Not only did he yell out a racial slur at an opposing player, and he did remain with the club, he did it again against his own teammate, and now he's done. This is the problem that is going on in Europe with the continued disrespect of others, no matter what it is or how it is said, or your actions to the opposite sex. There needs to be a learning type of situation because once again if they're not going to learn from this mistake it's over and done with and I'm sorry to say it I'm very very sorry to say it it should never have happened never ever should have happened and I really hope this guy learned his lesson because it's time now for him to go Period. I don't want to give him a second chance. I don't want to give him a third chance. It's time for him to go and to go now. Because if he's not going to go now, then, you know, when's he ever going to learn? When is he ever going to learn? No one will. It's called being a professional. So all I can tell you guys is this. If he is not going to learn from his mistakes, 
then he never will. And that's the problem we have right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, i got a great show for you tonight. Tonight we are here to talk about, of course, uh, some big moments that happened in Major League Soccer. Sadly, a sad one. And that is the sacking of Giovanni Savarese from the Portland Timbers. Joining me right now for the very first time is Mr. Jeremy Peterson of Cascadia FC. They cover everything in the Cascadia area of both of all three, excuse me, the Portland Timbers, the Seattle Sounders, and the Vancouver Whitecaps. Jeremy Peterman is uh, is the Portland Timbers man that covers the club. Jeremy, welcome to the show, and how are you? Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to join for the first time, and uh, I am excited. I'm, I'm very excited to be able to be here. Well, the floor is all yours, my friend, and uh, hopefully you'll have a fun time. So, obviously, Giovanni Savarese, uh, of course, a legend in Major League Soccer when the league got started back in 1996 with the Metro Stars and the New England Revolution, uh, managed the club for the last, I would say, four to five seasons, uh, making two MLS Cup finals, sadly losing both to both uh, Atlanta and New York City FC. Why were the reasons that Giovanni was sacked? Well, when I think of a manager's tenure, uh, there are three different categories I tend to look at a manager and how he's able to impact the club. The first is whether or not he is a good person. Just is he... A, does he represent the club well by himself? And Giovanni Savarese did that to the best of his ability every single moment he was employed by the Portland Timbers. Um, the fan base, um, in terms of one of the, why he was fired, you could never say that it was because he was a bad person. If anything, his presence helped cover up for some of the sins of our current front office because – while Merritt Paulson and his um, little gang ended up um, destroying their own credibility, fans could keep looking and saying, oh, well, Gio's still in charge. He's still a good person. He can still be a good example for this club, despite everything that the front office has done. Uh, The second category I tend to look at is – is he a good manager, which is different from a coach. Um, And that's whether or not he can get the most out of his players. Uh, Both of those cup final runs you just mentioned, and I'm also going to add in the 2020 MLS's back tournament, which because of Giovanni Savarese, the Timbers are the only team ever to have won that. Um, He was able to get the most out of his players whenever the situation called for it. And even if we go back to um, earlier in July for League's Cup, the Timbers had a very tough group draw. And although they ended up losing two of their three League's Cup games, both of those losses were two, two of the best teams in Mexico. And one thing you could not say about that game is that the Timbers looked unprepared. They came out, they matched those teams um, completely uh, from the opening whistle to the end, um, almost secured a result against Tigres despite being down a man for the entire second half. This is a man who can motivate his players and can work magic with them. Now, on the other side of that coin, uh, at the end of last season, there were some rumors that him and central midfielder Eric Williamson were having some issues. 
Um, they that seemed to be cleaned up in the off season, but it did put quite a bit of a damper on the club heading into the off season with Williamson's future uncertain and a bunch of transfer rumors in around the league saying how many teams wanted to take him away from Portland because it doesn't look like he's happy there. But he stayed, and some of those issues crept into this current season, most notably with goalkeeper Alias Ivacic, who openly called Savarese a liar. I do not know a ton more about that situation. It just seemed like Ivacic, who was injured in preseason, was working his way back to full health, and uh, Savarese kept sticking with the backup keeper, David Bingham, over Ivacic, even though Ivacic said, I'm fully healthy, I don't know why I'm not playing. So that's the first in this season. The second one is the one that's a lot more high profile. That's Santiago Moreno, who has been a key, a key player for the team since he arrived in uh, the summer window in 2021 has really held down one of the starting wing spots. And um, he openly requested to leave the club. And a lot, uh, the way it was framed mostly was due to Savarese's own failing, saying he's not uh, Savarese isn't playing Moreno in the position that he wants to be, which is certainly part of it. But the larger part of it is it's just a contract dispute. And Santiago Moreno wanted a bigger and better contract for himself. And uh, he kind of dragged Savarese into it. Um, But Savarese's name was still mentioned there. And despite um, for pretty much all of the six years, except from the tail end of last year to this year, there really have not been any complaints from players in regards to him. If anything, he's been... Uh, helping a team that's kind of less than the sum of their parts be able to punch way above their weight and reach two MLS Cup finals. Now, the third part of that is him as a coach. This is where things do not look as good. Timbers fans have an expectation for what they want the team to look like. They want to play beautiful counterattacking football. Now, for the first Four seasons under Savarese, 2018, 2019, uh, 2020, and 2021, that was possible because the Timbers had Diego Valeri. Now, Valeri did take a bit of a step back in the 2021 season, but his presence on the roster was still incredibly important. He's still the club captain, and he was able to offer a lot of on-field leadership uh, despite not getting as many minutes as he had been in previous years. But over the past two seasons, completely dried up. And there really hasn't been any solution to it. Last year, the solution was win a bunch of penalty kicks, win a bunch of games by one goal, and miss the playoffs. That was the first playoff miss the Timbers have had since 2016. And that was back when Caleb Porter was head coach. This is a team that's very, very accustomed to always competing in the playoffs, always making it there and always putting together some sort of fight. So a complete playoff miss with the roster that we had last year was seen by, was seen as unacceptable from a lot of people, including management. So the pressure was really, really on him this year. And he got a brand new player to work with Evander, the $10 million record signing who 
came in from FC Michelin in Denmark. He has not settled into the team like many had hoped. And although it is because he's a different player than their last true superstar number 10, Diego Valeri, there are, there's still a ton of impatience because of all the, um, because the goals and the assists just have not been coming at the rate fans have been wanting. He's supposed to be the key to the attack. He hasn't been performing for a bunch of reasons, a few of which aren't exactly his fault. But everything came to a head after the 5-0 defeat to the Houston Dynamo, in which the team had two weeks off before. They had been eliminated from League's Cup, and they had two weeks to prepare for this one game. One quote from Savarese definitely sticks out to me in that regard. He said, we have studied every single aspect of this team, referring to Houston, because they had so much time to do their extra research. They went down 3-0 within the first 15 minutes. I wouldn't say it was a sackable performance from him, but with all the rumors surrounding the locker room and the combined inability to get goals and the resulting um, uh, after that game, they went down to 12th on the table, uh, the front office pulled the trigger on him. And that's a shame in my book because, to me, Savarese has been uh, a damn good coach, manager in MLS, even before then, back with the Cosmos and the uh, second coming of the North American Soccer League. And it just sounds like, uh, to me, he was starting to lose uh, faith in his players. I guess he was starting to lose faith uh, from the front office. It was slowly uh, deteriorating, and uh, sadly, the... The 5-0 loss against the Dynamo was the dam that broke. That's certainly part of it, but there's also a debate to be had, one that's still ongoing among Timbers fans, as to whether or not the underperformance, specifically in the attack, because the de- the back line seems to be like relatively settled, as in there are guaranteed starters there. But the question in the attack is whether or not it's G- it was Geo's fault for not coaching the players up correctly or the front office's part for recruiting poor talent to fit the coach. And that's a question we're never going to have the answer of. I was sort of a little column A, a little column B because Gio never really produced like lights out attacks as the Timbers coach, even when he had a peak Diego Valeri and a peak Sebastian Blanco to pick from. But also, there is no denying that the roster has significantly gotten worse, and um, especially in terms of the way they're spending, they're choosing to dole out high salaries to unproductive attackers. And that's been a trend that the Timbers have had under Savarese. So now who's uh, running the club, and uh, what do you think is going to happen during the offseason? Because that means... You know, I'm looking at the standings right now in the Western Conference, and I know Portland is uh, unusually in 12th currently, and they are about uh, two places ahead of Colorado, who are definitely dead last. But what do you think the Timbers are going to be looking for for next year? That all depends on the new GM, Ned Grabavoy. He spent a few years before being promoted to GM following the termination of Gavin Wilkinson, which was related to the Thorns scandal from the NWSL, uh, helping to cover up the uh, 
abuse and harassment from their former head coach, Paul Riley. Um, but Grabboy has been with the organization for quite a bit of time, and this is the first year he's actually fully in charge. He's in the driver's seat, and I think he wants to go find a coach that's going to fit his own vision. As to names, I could not speculate on that. No one thought the Timbers were going to sign Caleb to were going to hire Caleb Porter when they did. No one thought the Timbers were going to hire Giovanni Savarese when they did. Uh, the one a common denominator between both of those hires is they were plucked from lower divisions. So the Timbers can obviously can identify talent from lower divisions, but this isn't Grabovoy's first coaching hire. And this is a team that's only had three full-time head coaches during their entire tenure in MLS, which is 12 seasons. Three head coaches over 12 seasons is kind of mental considering some of the um, head coaching turnover just in the past couple seasons where some teams have had more than four with just since 2019 Cincinnati. But the finding that coach is the most important thing that Grabovoy has to do. And also with some expiring contracts on the roster, like Sebastian Blanco, for example, uh, the Timbers are going to have to figure out how they're going to replace some of those players and get a coach on board who can help coach up the already um, the, the players who will still be here next year. And that's the one thing they have to knock out of the park, which is why I have no idea who Grabovoy could be looking at. The organization is always really tight-lipped surrounding both transfers um, coaching hires, they, they don't let any info get out unless they really, really want it to. So it's probably going to be a hire from somewhat left field. One candidate that I can already think of is the current interim, Miles Joseph, who has been the assistant under Savarese since he came to Portland and already has had, is already very familiar with the squad of players and might be looking for his head coaching job. Well, his audition is right now. He could prove to be the guy. I'm not saying that he will, but if they can pull out a playoff appearance out of this, that could be enough for Grabovoy that that could be enough to convince Grabovoy to hire him. I don't think it's likely, but it's the only name I can legitimately think of right now. Jeremy, just do me a favor before we let you go. Uh, please inform my listeners about Cascadia FC, your website, and everything that you guys discuss with the clubs in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, yeah, we cover all three clubs in the Cascadia region. That's the um, Portland Timbers, Seattle Sounders, Vancouver Whitecaps. And we also cover the Portland Thorns and the – Seattle women's team, the OL Reign. I have to preface that because Seattle decided to get bought by Olympic Lyon. So you can't tell that they're actually in Seattle when I say OL Reign. But we cover all of those teams. And the most important thing we see is since there are so many soccer hungry fans in the PNW, adding another um, blog and getting more content out there around these teams is the right way to go because there's always going to be an audience for it. 
Absolutely. And, and Jeremy, let me just mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Also you can find it cascadiafc.substack.com and at Cascadia underscore FC on Twitter. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, Jeremy. I really do appreciate it. Hope to have you, Michael, and the rest of the guys back on this show to talk about those respective clubs. Thanks again for joining me tonight. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Go Jets. Go Jets. (laughs) Have a good (laughs) night. Thanks a lot. Jeremy Peterman from Cascadia FC. He is the beat writer for the Portland Timbers at Cascadia FC. Once again, CascadiaFC.substack.com. Go and read their articles about all three Pacific Northwest clubs in Vancouver, Portland, Seattle. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, could not join me live tonight, but I have on Mr. John Morrissey through a recorded interview as we will be discussing the end, unfortunately, of the San Diego Loyal. Now, quick update before uh, after we recorded this. Apparently, there is a petition going around to save the San Diego Loyal. Hopefully, it will happen. Uh, but as of right now, I don't know what the how many signatures are there or if there is any movement, but at the moment, all we know is that the Loyal will no longer be playing in USL Championship at the end of the 2023 season. So once again, in the recorded interview, this is Mr. John Morrissey from the USL show to talk about, unfortunately, the San Diego Loyal ending operations at the end of this 2023 season. Daniel Feuerstein here. This is the American Soccer Show as we continue on with the special edition. And, of course, sad news has come as Andrew Vasilidas, the owner of San Diego Loyal, is uh, shutting it down after their fourth season is over and done with. And to join me to talk about this uh, terrible, terrible situation is one of the hosts, of the co-hosts of the USL show, and that is Mr. John Morrissey. John, welcome to the show, and thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, really excited to be here. Really sad that it has to be on this occasion. You know, it, it's just a sad epidemic when you have professional clubs that are not in Major League Soccer that continue to have a short leash on life financially, depending on stadium situation. Um, It could also be not getting enough support. Or in this case, when a a new expansion team coming into Major League Soccer basically suffocates the, uh, the ability of said lower league club to not get the necessary financial support that you think that they should be having or should have gotten already. No, absolutely. And that's that's really the case here where San Diego was a team that routinely filled about three quarters or more of the stadium that they're playing in. But the fact of the matter at Torero Stadium is that that venue was taking a lot of the revenue that they were getting out of at the gate. So if you're the loyal, you're looking and thinking, okay, we need to move to a different setup to figure this thing out financially. And because the MLS team is coming in, it suddenly becomes just completely non-viable to put the money in to build your own setup 
knowing that Major League Soccer is really going to take up all of the space in that market, draw more fans, make it less likely that you're going to get the return on the investment. And that is really the crux of the issue here and why Loyal decided that they just can't be competitive going forward. And it's really sad. I think it speaks to some governance issues on terms of uh, U.S. soccer, but there's lots of problems here, and it's just a sad day. It really is. And if you really think about it, you have someone in Landon Donovan, not only a soccer Hall of Famer, a former U.S. men's national team, a gentleman that has won several championships with the San Jose Earthquakes, with the Los Angeles Galaxy, uh, went to several amount of Gold Cups, World Cups, joins this front office to help San Diego get back on the soccer map, on the professional rankings, and after being a head coach and a part owner of this San Diego loyal team, he's out of a job. It, it really is tremendous to think of how like, this is the guy the MLS MVP trophy is named after, and now the club that he spent years and years trying to help grow, trying to establish, isn't going to exist anymore. And I know I just sort of hinted at it, but it speaks to the competition between these leagues that ends up hurting everybody in the process. And I'm sure that the MLS team will eventually draw tens of thousands of people and have their own stadium. But at what cost to the community, at what cost to the people who put in the hard work to prove that San Diego could be a good market, to the people at the Loyal who put in so much hard work to grow a community around the sport, to support youth development. This team has done so much, and then it just has to go up in smoke at the whim of, I mean, let's face it, a, a group of billionaires and millionaires from outside the San Diego area who are going to start this team. It's very true. Have you spoken with any of the supporters that are, of course, you know, I mean, obviously there are rivals, uh, you know, opponents on the Western Conference side of USO Championship? Have you spoken with, you know, ownership groups from other USO Championship sides in the Western Conference that are no longer going to go and play against San Diego, whether it be in San Diego or at their facility? I've not spoken to anyone. I, I mean, I know the general consensus is that it's, a, it's an important loss for the league because of what this team did in terms of the standard of play that they would bring, the level of class on and off the pitch that they got. Like, there's a lot here that's important in terms of what the USL is doing. So that's more of the vibe I've been getting. Mm -hmm. No, very true. You know, I know the Loyal had that friendly at Snapdragon Stadium against, I believe yeah. it was a German football club from the Bundesliga. Yeah, Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I mean, you would think, you know, something like that would have given them a good amount of you know, finances, gate money, uh, and other things to have that match happen at Snapdragon Stadium. Especially, they were one of the they were the opponent for Borussia Dortmund. It's just so sad that it, it just feels like that friendly just was not enough to keep them going. Yeah, and that was a game that I believe was on ESPN two, if I remember correctly. It was very high profile, but it's. It's something that was a positive for sure, and it's something that can raise the profile of the team. But it's clear that Andrew Vitaliatis, the rest of the ownership group, was thinking in the longer term of when push comes to shove, Torero becomes untenable. We can't afford to build our own setup and find the land in this city with the specter of this much more financially viable MLS side. And 
I mean, things like the Dortmund friendly are indicative of why the Loyal were so well run, but they just couldn't be enough of a stopgap for them. No, it's really a shame. You know, I, I've always said this, and, you know, I, I keep saying this, and we're not going to talk about promotional relegation because obviously that's one mechanism we all would like to see happen here in American soccer. But, you know, my continued argument has always been, and this also goes towards the U.S. Open Cup as well, and I've written this on Beyond the, the 90, uh, over at beyondthe90.substack.com, is, you know, every single club in every single professional league in U.S. soccer must build their own stadium. I mean, look, it's nice to have a temporary home, what the Loyal did have uh, at the college stadium that you uh, talked about. But, I mean, it's getting to the point where we need these stadiums. And I don't care how big it is. It doesn't have to be like Old Trafford in England. It doesn't have to be like the Bernabeu. over in Spain, you know, it doesn't have to be like Red Bull Arena. It doesn't have to be like the Home Depot Center or or now the Dignity Health Sports Park, wherever you want to call it now. At least a facility that they own, that they can control. I mean, does this sound another warning signals? And, you know, at the same time, the warning signal should have been already announced what happened with Orange County before, you know, they had an agreement with Irvine. Yeah, I mean, you speak to it, the fact that if you don't have a stadium set up that can allow you to be financially independent, you're in danger of folding. For all all of the progress that the USL, from top to bottom, has made in terms of really solidifying lower league soccer, which historically has been so tempestuous, you constantly see clubs folding, and the USL has done a lot in that regard. But we're just only now entering the era where they are really pushing for teams to come up with their own stadium solution. And I would laud the league, certainly, for really not approving expansion efforts unless those groups have a concrete plan to build the facility. But unfortunately, the recentness of that development means that we've got some clubs that are lagging the process, that are playing in baseball stadiums, that are renting out college arenas that they cannot get enough revenue from we're going to see some more clubs fold unless that uh, unless they come up with solutions. And that's just really unfortunate at the end of the day. It really is. And let me throw this out at you. And I know that they were going to have a vote to do self-promotion relegation yeah. uh, and, you know, make USL League 2 a professional league and then try to maybe bring back – and this is just my, my suggestion, of course uh, – maybe to make USL League 2 uh, – like I already said, they want to make that a professional league, but then – turn the short season league into maybe bring back the Premier Development League or PDL, but at the same time, if you do bring your own version of promotion relegation within your own leagues in USL, aren't you still in trouble because you still have these clubs, whether it be in USL Championship or even League One, that half of them or more than half don't have their own stadiums and they could also go out of business if an, if MLS basically comes into their backyard. Absolutely. And when the proposal was publicized, when there was really a tension around it, the thing that I tended to write about and say was, sure, in the short term, promotion and relegation will probably draw more attention from media, sponsors, and fans to the USL writ large. But ultimately... I don't want to say it's shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic because I think that's much too harsh. 
but it's not the thing that's going to give the league from, or, I mean, League One, the championship, any of it, that long-term solidity to prevent takeovers when MLS gets interested in the market. What I think is important is that the promotion and relegation a decision would really be protection against new ownership groups choosing to go to MLS Next Pro because of the revenue gains that you would hopefully get on the USL side. But that doesn't change the fact that if you're Indy, if you're Detroit, I'm thinking Phoenix, those are still markets that are important to the USL that promotion and relegation would do nothing to stop them from getting poached by Major League Soccer, in my estimation. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Uh, What have you learned uh, after the San Diego situation? What have you heard through the grapevine, if you have, about these clubs, these not just the clubs and the ownership groups of these clubs, but the supporters of, you know, why this is going on. Why isn't U.S. soccer doing anything to stop this situation from happening? Obviously, we know about the pro league standard situation, but once again, is there frustration coming across all levels of USL right now because of now San Diego is done at the end of this 2023 season? largely came in years past when you saw a lot more of these situations. I think there's sort of a sense of resignation almost that people are just aware of the fact, unfortunate as it is, that U.S. soccer doesn't have the willpower, is too beholden to the interests of MLS financially to really take action. And I mean, say what you will about MLS and the growth that they've seen, the messy thing is a big deal and all of that. But to me, the entire thing, and I've heard this perspective as well, is that it's short-sighted to not do what you can to support the USL, to support lower division soccer, because it's so important to growing the game across the country. There's only so much that a set of, what, eventually probably 32 MLS teams can do in every small town in America. And that's the beauty, by contrast, of the USL model, where you have real community teams in those USL League 2 markets, for instance, that are growing the game at the grassroots. And so the frustration being now, U.S. soccer is letting that really come into question by being, I mean, preferential for MLS by their inaction. It really is. And it's really just a shame because when you have the commissioner of Major League Soccer basically shouting down and dismissing what the U.S. Open Cup is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about how pretty the stadiums should be for his MLS teams when they have to play away from their stadiums, because that's not the idea. The idea is to fight for the national championship of American soccer, no matter what the stadium looks like. It's all about the will of the players that want to go out and win a trophy. That's what you watch all the time, whether it's the FA Cup in England, the Copa del Rey in Spain, the Copa Italia in Italy, um, the, the, the German Cup in Germany. It, it does not matter. It should not matter how pretty your stadium looks. It's all about what you need to do to make a run and win a trophy no matter what league you're in. No doubt. It's about the competitiveness. As long as you have a field that fits the regulations that U.S. soccer gives and you have a field that isn't presenting an injury risk to players, that's good enough because the point is 
pitting these clubs against one another in really gentlemanly competition and letting it go from there. It's not about the finances, the size, and the nice and newness of the stadium. And I think we're missing the forest for the trees when we're not prioritizing those smaller teams in the context of the Open. No, no, we're not, and that's really a big shame. Other than that, John, um, what's your hope here for USL right now, obviously? I mean, we know we have some expansion clubs coming in, um, but who's going to fill that void for now that San Diego is going to be ending their business operations at the end of this year? Yeah, I mean, in terms of a proper West Coast presence, there isn't really a, a key contender coming in on that side. I'm very bullish, however, on the Rhode Island group that's coming in. You've got teams in New Orleans and Jacksonville filling out that eastern seaboard. It is what it is with the West in terms of, I mean, it's a very dispersed place. The populations and cities are somewhat far apart. I, I think that Orange County, teams like that, have really shown the steps towards kind of taking that leap in terms of the youth development, selling players onto Europe that's really promising. So I think entrenching what you have already in that side of the country, seeing what you can do step-by-step growth-wise is all you can hope for, and then really continue to strengthen the league by what you're doing in the rest of the country and set yourself up for future growth elsewhere. Very, very true. Listen to John Morrissey. He's the co-host of the USL Show. He also is a contributor at Backhield. John Morrissey, thank you for joining me today. I hope you have a very good day, and thanks again for your knowledge of this situation. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And once again, thank you to John Morrissey, co-host of the USL Show. Uh, you can listen to them and go to the, and also follow them on Twitter at the USL Show. So uh, take a listen to John and to his other uh, friends as well on the USL Show podcast and stay informed. So there you have it. And um, you know, once again, I hopefully uh, the loyal will maybe reverse course and uh, maybe remain in USL championship if this petition does go through. But uh, for now, um, it's just very sad that, you know, once San Diego FC announced themselves as the new expansion team at number 30 for MLS, that it looks like it's all over for them, but hopefully not. I know what everyone's going to say, but the point is, is this, if you follow and, Read my articles at Beyond the 90. Go ahead, check out uh, my latest article about uh, the San Diego Loyal and other articles on the past on American soccer uh, through Beyond the 90. And that's along with Carter Krishnire and Jonathan Starling uh, and many other talented writers as well that have uh, joined in. And, of course, podcasts as well through uh, American soccer with Carter Krishnire. Uh, This is a situation, once again, where... It just just cannot happen. This cannot happen to our clubs, not just from MLS, but also USL, NISA, MPSL, UPSL, amateur leagues, period. There's got to be some form of common sense coming in, and it's not just having promotion relegation. No. I know the United Soccer Leagues was supposed to have that meeting to do a vote on their own version of ProRel, but once again, as I've said in that article, if you've read it about the San Diego Loyal, you cannot put lipstick on a pig because even if 
United Soccer League's championship, League One, League Two, did become only themselves to have promotion relegation, Major League Soccer will still be picking off clubs or markets that has these USL clubs and taking them away from those leagues to put them in Major League Soccer. Cannot happen. That's why everything must come together. And not just clarity to have ProRel to make it, but every club of every league must have their own stadiums. I keep saying it. I keep discussing it. You think it's a joke? It's not. Because that's also part of the problem. Because University of San Diego took a huge chunk of the gate for their rent from San Diego Loyal. That's how it is. And I've said it. I've warned everyone. But you wouldn't listen. And now, to finish off tonight's show, the New York Red Bulls, they fell to Lionel Messi and Inter Miami by final of two goals to nil. Now, let me say this. I'm not happy with that performance from the New York Red Bulls. Lionel Messi, who has played eight matches, two in a week, from League's Cup and the Open Cup semifinals, and he was on the bench for 60 minutes before he came on the field. And what did the Red Bulls not do? They did not press. They did not attack. They did not look like they were going to show Inter-Miami what they were made of, and they did not. Even though, even though they went back into the locker room, reassessed, played better at the start of the second half, the truth is that should have been done when the opening whistle blew. You allowed a goal to get scored on. You had an opportunity to score a goal, and Omir Fernandez flubbed it. Drake Callender actually played an amazing match and goal. I'm, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. But it's going to show right now that it's not just the front office of the New York Rebels that's having these issues. It's Red Bull Global. And even though Mario Goetze was there representing Red Bull Global, he now sees the problem. Now, I am not against academy players coming up through the system and getting first-team minutes. But it's time to bring in the best of the best, whether they're in the middle of their careers in Europe or towards the end of their careers in Europe. They can still perform here, and they can help our academy players do much better and play better and be more dangerous on the front foot. When this club began as the Metro Stars and they started their youth academy, or they started it through drafting young college players through the draft system, they would barely get a chance to remain on the club because they would be traded away or they would be let go and they would be successful somewhere else in Major League Soccer. I'm not against bringing in big-name players, but once again, it's the young players that they were ignoring. And I understand it's a world market. Expect transfers to happen for our players to go elsewhere like Giovanni, excuse me, like Jose Altador did. 
and so many other players that have been in the Red Bull system, you can't keep all of them. You're going to lose them either as a free agent or there will be transfer deals available in Europe and or South America, or they're going to go somewhere else in the United States, either in USL or other MLS clubs. It's bound to happen. I understand that. But then you go from one extreme to another where you're only developing and allowing academy players to come up. And at the moment, I hate to say it, I don't want to say it, but let's be fair here. As much as I like Tom Barlow, as much as I think he is a great, a very good person, uh, he tries his best. He does his best out there, what he does. The truth is he is a goal scorer, and he has not scored like he did when he first got started, when he got called up from Red Bulls 2 to the New York Red Bulls after his rookie season. He looked great, and now he has not. He still hustles. That's good. He still gets involved in the attack. That's great. But the problem is, and it's the forget about analytics, forget about expected goals. To to me, that is a bunch of hogwash. Porton's stat is the scoreboard, and that's scoring the goals putting the ball into the back of the net, or as Tommy Smith would always say, put the bulge in the old onion bag, and that is what the Red Bulls have been lacking for the last couple of years. They've had a spurt of goals here and there, but other than that, it's been 1-0, 2-1, that's it. And I understand there's injuries. You can't do, help it when there's injuries. But once again, we have a talented roster Talented players, they do very well here, but once again, if you're not consistently putting the ball in the back of the net, and you're in one of the biggest media markets in all of sports and fashion, Broadway, everything, and you're putting that out on the pitch, you know what? Ignoring this market means you're failing. And that's intentionally failing. Cannot put it on Mark the Grand Prix because he's doing whatever he can to help out with the promotional side of things because it is the job of the sporting director, which is Dennis Hamlet, director of sport in Joachim Schneider. And Red Bull Global that has to go out and find the talent to assist the young, talented players that are growing up at the Red Bull Academy. I can't get on Yoakum yet because this will be his first full season as director of sport of this club. But you can the finger of blame at Dennis Hamlet because I don't think he has done enough. And it's time for Red Bull Global to wake up and say, look, we understand Leipzig is your baby now. We all know what goes on at Salzburg. That's also your baby. We understand that. But, you know, you got this MLS side for a reason. Not just the footprint, 
of Red Bull Global Soccer, Global Football, but the idea is to dominate Major League Soccer. And I understand that the acquisition roster rules are difficult because it's a different type of situation than you were used to in Europe. But once again, if you want this club to win trophies, MLS Cup, Supporter Shield, Open Cup, the CONCACAF Champions Cup, and hopefully one day perform well in the FIFA Club World Cup, then please bring in some talented players from Europe or from South America who are well-known on national teams at their respective countries, get them over here and get them to buy in and be a part of this. Because if you continue to ignore, you're already losing support from the people who love the sport that wants to see the New York Rebels compete and be successful. This is all they ever wanted. Red Bull Global, you're about to lose support. And then what? What will happen when you lose the entire South Ward? Because you have to spend. And I understand there's an article out at Return of Investment through NewJersey.com that they're going to spend now in 2024. Is it too little too late? I hope not. But please pay attention. There is another team in blue that they are willing to go to because these people feel ignored. Do not ignore these people, New York Rebels, Rebel Global. It's time to reinvest again and make sure, make sure that you do your job to make this club, this original member of Major League Soccer, in this media market, to have them go out there and dominate and do their damnedest. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank my guest tonight. I want to thank Jeremy Peterman of Cascadia FC on the Portland Timbers. I also want to thank uh, John Morrissey from the USL show talking about the San Diego Loyal. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Join me next week. Uh, no guest at the moment. We'll let you know. And on next Friday, I'll have a special show, and we'll talk more about that uh, on next week's show. And then, of course, the international break coming in with post-match shows against uh, for the U.S. men's national team between uh, both against Uzbekistan and Oman. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight, and as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you, take care, so long, and bye-bye for now.